0: This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Hey, friends, welcome to episode 48 of the Startup Renegades podcast. Over the past year, I have had the opportunity to interview 47 amazing founders telling you the success stories and some of the failures of these men and women who are just going forth and doing the damn thing. So as we get ready, 2022 is just a few days away. I want to share with you some of the things that I've learned over the past few years and review some of these amazing episodes. Some of my favorites are in here for sure but I've seen some patterns, some strategies that keep coming up. So I want to take a look back. I want to review some of these strategies that our founders have told me that have worked really well for them. So you can get insights into which direction you might want to take your marketing and growth strategy in the next year. This is what we learned about the future of marketing from startups in 2021. The first thing that really, really stuck out to me here is getting innovative with your business model. 2021 was a crazy year for businesses. The whole pandemic thing didn't just stop in 2020, it really extended into this year, and everybody was trying to figure out how to navigate it. We're still in this brave new world when it comes to businesses. The companies that didn't just survive, but thrived in 2021 were the ones that pivoted. And I know that we throw that pivot word around a lot, and it's probably something that you've just heard a ton of, and you're just done with this year, but it's the truth. The companies that pivoted as needed and adapted to the new needs of the consumers were the ones that won this year. And I'm going to give you an example. In episode number 18, I talked to Marissa Goldstein of Raffinova. In February of 2020, Marissa Goldstein and her husband launched this company with a mission to encourage families to adventure near and far by outfitting them with fair trade products and accessories. I'm a traveler myself. I've got kids. I totally love this. But just a month later in March, 2020, the entire world shut down. Marissa said that the launch couldn't have gone worse. This is the startup founder's worst nightmare, right? You put all this effort and investment into getting your first products, building your website, doing the PR, and you go to launch and it's just crickets. They had about $1,000 in sales. They did lots of PR, but no one was biting. Nobody wanted the stories. They even tried lowering the price of the product, but that didn't work either. This husband and wife duo had to make some tough choices to keep paying their bills. They realized that the manufacturing partners were hurting just as much as they were, and other companies were canceling their orders. So they reached out to their partners and asked if they wanted to switch over to making masks. So this is something that really stood out to me. Marissa said, The right time, the right place, there was a need. There's never been a product like this that everyone needed and nobody had. And when you think back to that time, everyone was going crazy, right? You couldn't get masks anywhere. So this was just a light bulb moment for Marissa. And they switched their strategy and they started making masks. More than that, they donated 10,000 masks to frontline workers at the time. The number is now over 200,000 donations that they've made, which is pretty amazing. So at this time where masks were nowhere to be found, they were donating them to the people who needed them most. And a very simple strategy, Marissa posted in a local Facebook group that she had these masks for sale and overnight they did $25,000 in sales. This is just a big example for me of how you pivot to make things work and you meet the customer where they're at. February 2020 had to be just the absolute worst launch date for a startup that catered to travel gear for sure. But Marissa and her husband were so smart in how they handled this. On the podcast, Marissa said, the biggest thing I tell people when they're starting a company is make a product or service that solves a problem. It has a pain point, but can also create impact. You need to feel good if you're on this startup journey. So another example of a company that just made an amazing profitable pivot in the pandemic was Vin Social, and I talked to the founder, Sarah Mall, in episode number 33 of the podcast. After a decade in the fashion industry, Sarah was becoming disenchanted. She was really interested in the hospitality space, ended up enrolling at the International Culinary Center in Manhattan, which is one of the most incredible and rigorous wine training programs there is out there. She hit the ground running in the industry, working with multiple different career tracks, just trying to learn and to get herself some street cred. But it felt stifling. The career spectrum in the wine industry is not vast. You can work at a restaurant, sell wholesale to restaurants and wine stores, sell retail, or you can go into wine production. And the hard truth was that she loved wine, but she didn't want to do any of it. Sarah continued to work on her business idea as she continued to immerse herself in learning experiences, and she quickly realized that wine tastings were all just the same. That's definitely the way they felt. So she started a pop-up bar in Brooklyn, but she soon realized that that wasn't sustainable. That's when she started curating events for corporate audiences this really grew. With her husband being a business consultant, she had a lot of great connections and she was able to get this new experience out there. When the pandemic hit, they leaned fully into making these events virtual. Sarah said on her podcast episode, I think that's just such an important message to anyone listening that so many times you see someone's success and you just assume that it was like this miraculous overnight, like lightning striking situation. But most of the nine times out of 10, there were years and years of work that they're not talking about because it's not the sexy stuff. I started VinSocial formally in 2014, and we really didn't hit product market fit and start scaling this business, even though it had a lot of skill and potential until 2020. That's something that everybody needs to hear. So there's so much going on in the backgrounds and these brands that we see every day and we aspire to be them. We think about how how successful they are. It probably took them a lot longer to get there than we realize. But Sarah saw that there was a lot of potential in the landscape of 2020. She continued to develop the corporate virtual hospitality program in real time, and she was able to really tailor it exactly to the needs of the people that Social was selling to, and she optimized this as a virtual experience. Each event generated on average 1.5 new clients. Can you imagine a product that just by virtue of the product experience that every time you sell one, you know, you're going to sell 1.5 more. That's amazing. They generated over $1 million in 2020 and they are set at Bin Social to have an amazing 2022. And for this piece about getting innovative with your business model, I want to leave you with a quote from Annie Ruggles from episode number five of the podcast. This is something that really everybody has to hear. Double down on what matters the most, but try not to be so precious about the details. If you spend your time arguing and defending new details, you're probably wasting your energy. Be resolute in the things that matter. You should be asking yourself, how is this not like everything else around me? I want you to think about that as you are going into the new year. Maybe you don't have a big pivot that you need to make to make your business profitable, but you need to be asking yourself, how is this not like everything else around me? Lesson number two that I took from my podcast guests this year was don't be afraid to go grassroots. I think when we look at the startup space, we are expecting this really fast and exponential growth. A lot of high growth startups with venture capital funding can and will do that, but not every startup has the same opportunities, and especially when you're on a bootstrap budget. You have to grow differently, and there's nothing wrong with that. Ashley Rouse was on episode number 24 of the Startup Renegades podcast. She worked at Condé Nast full-time at the World Trade Center, running a cafe, managing the food marketing, and social media. She loved canning and preserving as a way to channel her creative energy when she got off of work. She sold these to family, friends, and even opened her own Etsy shop which I thought was amazing because I didn't realize that you could sell jam on Etsy. She talks about why it was important from a business perspective to get off of Etsy and launch her own e-commerce website. From a marketing perspective, you need to own your space. That's so important. And I think what she shared in the episode was really valuable. But what she did to get her customers in the very beginning was to go to markets and craft fairs and sell her jams. And she did that building up her audience for three years. Ashley said, the markets were great. And they were such a good marketing strategy because like I was testing proof of concept and I was getting immediate feedback. So, you know, when people buy online, they can't try the product, which is fine. But in person, I know I can sell in person because they're going to like the jam, but they also need the experience and they got to meet the owner. I feel like people want to know the person behind the brand. They want the story. And so selling in person was just huge. I mean, it was such a great way to build up the brand. That was the number one marketing tactic that we used. How powerful is that? I think that it is so important for people to hear. She had three years of meeting people in person and really building this foundation of customers for her brand. She goes on to talk about being consistent with nurturing that community via email and keeping them engaged with your brand over time. Then we have episode number 22 with Lauren and Allie, the co-founders of Fatty Sundays. These two sisters growing up Sundays were a family day to kick back, relax, and indulge. Their mom, Karen, was a seriously good baker. She still is today. And a chocolate covered rainbow sprinkled pretzels were her thing. In 2010, Allie and Lauren had this aha moment when they decided they were going to go into business sharing this favorite sweet and salty treat of theirs with the world. They gave their mom's famous recipe a refresh, created a line of gourmet pretzels in never been done before flavors, and they're on a mission to reinvent and modernize the chocolate covered pretzel. It sounds so simple, right? But there's a lot of competition in the food space. And for many of you, there's going to be lots of competition in the space that you're in as well. So what did they do? The sisters would bring samples to coworkers into stores, and they even handed them out to perfect strangers. They'd ask to leave pretzels on consignment or just flat out ask for feedback. Doing this in person gave them the opportunity to see how people reacted in real time, and they made changes to their business accordingly. In the early days, they did a holiday market in New York City and sent out tons and tons of samples. On their episode, Allie said, We would Google wedding planner companies, would have put the company's logo on a box, show them what it would look like. The more you could send out, the higher chance of people responding. So what did you have to lose? I remember Googling lists of these kinds of people or lists of the best planners in the country. And we would just send out as many as we can. Like who doesn't love to get a cool little package that they weren't expecting? This Is so true that whole surprise and delight factor. And if you have a product, sending out samples maybe not to influencers, but to maybe smaller people on the ground, people in different industries that could help sell what you're selling. It's so important, and I love this as a grassroots strategy corporate gifting and just gifting season in general have become two of the biggest avenues for revenue in the business over at Fatty Sundays. My third takeaway from these success stories in 2021 was the power of brand partnerships. In episode number one, I spoke to Karina Glover of her headquarters. After launching her event planning company to crickets, Karina realized that her focus um, looking like she had it all together was preventing her from seizing opportunities to collaborate with others who might have a bigger network, more influence, and more experience. She learned from that mistake. This led her to launch Her Headquarters, an app connecting women entrepreneurs to powerful brand partnerships with women-owned businesses, The app makes it easy for women entrepreneurs to discover and secure mutually beneficial partnerships for their business by introducing them to various projects, events, and campaigns to collaborate on. Some of the biggest wins for the business in the early days were the partnerships themselves. They had an amazing UX designer who believed in the product so much. She worked for free in the beginning, knowing that they were going to get funded and that she would get paid back later. They also had big event speakers like B. Dixon of The Honey Pot, and Heidi Zack of Third Love. Karina is just a master at setting up brand partnerships, and you can leverage the audiences of other brands if you do so thoughtfully, and you really look into ways to make it a win-win situation. Another example of brand partnerships that I really love was Women's Collective Box, which we featured in episode number nine. When Women's Collective Box founder Rochelle White-Harris became a mother to her first child, Charlie, she decided that it was time to become her own boss. As she navigated life as a new parent and full-time photographer, Rochelle discovered a network of women whose creativity, ambition, and talent were changing the face of entrepreneurship. She saw firsthand how women... Their ideas and their products flourished within communities that valued their voices and empowered them to succeed. This experience inspired her to find new ways to harness the limitless power of women supporting each other's dreams. Rochelle has created relationships with other women creatives online and started sharing her idea of a subscription box with them to help launch this curated box of items from women makers. Every maker she included in this box was essentially a brand partner, sharing their inclusion out to their own audiences. She surpassed her goals for the first season and completely sold out of the box for the second season. On her episode of Startup Renegades, Rochelle said, I think for me, what my mission for the business was, was to be very community oriented with my customers. And so Instagram really helped me achieve that. I have said since the beginning, Women's Collective Box, down the line, I have more visions than it just being a box. It was never about the box. It was about the linking of women and the community of women together. So Instagram really let us harness that. My mission has always been to find people that want to be a part of the community and that want to interact and engage. Now, Rochelle definitely used influencers and other growth strategies as well. But for her business, I think that you can't deny the power of connecting with other women, and including their business within your business. Those were some really amazing brand partnerships that she made in the beginning, and it really propelled her business forward in a big way. Another noteworthy episode when it comes to brand partnerships is number 41 with serial entrepreneur Lindsay Campbell. She found herself in a new city with her infant son, traveling by bike, but without the knowledge of how to safely get from point A to point B. She realized that she wasn't alone. A lot of cyclists felt the same way. This led her to found Lanespotter, a community-sourced mapping and navigation tool created for cyclists by cyclists. On her episode, Lindsay said, I went to market kind of B2B2C through the bike advocacy groups, and it was through those partnerships that I met just kind of some of the most amazing people that allowed me to scale the app pretty fast. We had 60,000 users and 160,000 safety ratings across all of these cities and countries. But I think a lot of that was also just, I had found something. I could have tapped into something with the community. This was something that they really wanted and needed. So the support was there. Lindsay made sure she was creating wins for her partners and did all of the heavy lifting like writing emails, creating social media assets, and the like to make partnering with her brand a no brainer for them. This led to huge growth and I could not leave her out of the brand partnership section of this particular podcast because listen to those numbers. 60,000 users how many of you would like to have 60,000 customers? It would be amazing, right? When you focus on offering value and finding those niche groups where your potential customers are hanging out, there's potential for some very big upside. And I think that's what Lindsay beautifully tapped into when she was growing Lane Spotter. Now, the fourth and final marketing growth strategy of 2021 that I want you to take with you into the new year is word of mouth. On episode number 32, I got to talk with the co-founders of Colugo, Ted and Christy. In 2018, Ted officially launched Colugo, an affordable, high-quality brand, developing easy-to-use strollers and carriers with features parents actually need. Now, here's the thing. They understood the strength and importance of parenting communities and support systems for parents. And they tapped into that. They understood what truly affects purchasing decisions. Christy said this, we've really been focused on community from day one. And I mean, you're a parent, a mom or a dad friend recommends a product to you that immediately is like, oh, great. I don't have to do my own research with my sister if she uses something, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to buy it. I don't need to look into it myself. So we knew the power of that network of parents. And we wanted to tap into that by getting our products in the hands of people who would test them and try them and then help us to spread the word. That is so powerful, right? So understanding what truly affects the purchasing decisions of your core demographic is key. But then also understanding where they spend their time, what communities are important to them, and engaging them to start advocating for your brand in a big way. Another brand we have to talk about when it comes to word of mouth marketing is the Hummingbirds in episode number 28. Emily Steele is the co-founder and CEO of that company. In 2018, she realized that most of the decisions she was making in her own local community of Des Moines, Iowa, were based on what her coworkers, friends, neighbors, and acquaintances were sharing on Facebook and Instagram. From new taco truck to unique events hosted downtown, it was posts on social media from people she trusted that impacted her decisions. She brought together 20 of her closest friends and asked if they'd be willing to amplify different experiences in Des Moines on social media at the same time. That's when The Hummingbirds was born. Now, I call Emily the anti-influencer. Again, she understood how powerful personal connections were and how important trust is when you're selling. Here's a quote that she shared on why some people don't react to influencers. I'm just like an everyday person who loves my city, loves posting on social media. We really call this the hummingbirds because hummingbirds are all about pollinating, They flit around and they create this magical goodness in our own communities. And of course, globally, they go all over. But we really look for people who are positive contributors in our local community. They have a presence that is engaging. But we have basically said anyone can be a hummingbird because everyone has a voice and can make an impact. Let that sit with you for a minute. Everyone has a voice and can make an impact. So many brands are concentrated on trying to build influencer programs and get their product or their service or whatever they're selling in front of or in the hands of people with millions of millions of followers. What Emily does so beautifully is she focuses on people's immediate circle of influence where trust already exists. And that just really shows you there is so much power in connecting with people on a small level and getting them to share your brand story with others. Word of mouth is not dead, my friends. And Emily shows us that in style. My last example of word of mouth marketing is episode number seven with Rana Lestian, the founder of Edible. Beginning in 2008, Rana started perfecting recipes, finding the best suppliers, refining manufacturing, and building a product and brand she's truly passionate about. Seven months pregnant with her daughter, Riley, Rana launched Edible in November 2013, quickly securing a cult following among dessert enthusiasts. So here's the thing. During a cookie dough recall, Ronald realized that she wasn't the only person eating raw cookie dough out there and that there should be a safe-to-eat alternative. She goes into depth in the episode of why cookie dough might not be safe to eat raw and it has everything to do with the flour, not with eggs. I was very surprised to learn about that. She has a very big quote about word-of-mouth marketing and I wanna read it to you. Word of mouth, it's really lucky when you get it. But you have to give people something to talk and share about. So we're constantly looking for ways that people can, you know, whether it's through social media, giving people, you know, contests or humor. I think humor really helps with word of mouth. You give somebody something that evokes a real emotion and they want to share it because they just have this moment of joy or silliness or something that resonates with them. That's nostalgic. And they share it with the people that they thought of. So that's what I think helps with word of mouth. So at the end of the day, word of mouth is not dead. It's still so important. And it's going to be epically important in 2022 as well. It all comes back to creating an epic product and an epic experience for your customer. Something that they're going to want to talk about and something that they're going to want to encourage others to get excited about as well. So just to recap, Moving into 2022, especially if you're bootstrapping, I want you to think about these specific strategies getting innovative with your business model, being adaptable, and finding ways that you can meet your customers where they're at right now. Get grassroots and don't be afraid of it. There's nothing wrong with doing some trade shows, some conferences, some workshops. Get in front of your customers and start having one on one conversations. Find brand partnerships. Look for those companies that you have synergy with and create relationships. Look for ways that you can create win win opportunities and leverage the power of one another's audiences. And lastly, focus on the experience and create a reason for people to go out and tell their friends, their families, their circle of influence about the amazing things that you are doing in your business. So that's it. This is the last Startup Renegades episode of the year. Thank you so much for being here with me through a crazy 2021. I can't wait to drop a new episode and start all over again in 2022. I'll see you there.